say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt i will hold you till the sun comes crashing down i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone welcome to the restored to more podcast a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship or even if it was possible to restore what was broken. Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before. Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more. I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the city. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Restored to More. This morning, we are very blessed to have Linda McDonald with us. Let me tell you a little about Linda. Linda is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Washington. She has 33 years experience working with couples and individuals seeking to recover from the trauma of infidelity. Linda has a passion for helping people reconcile their marriages post-affair whenever possible. In an effort to help unfaithful partners succeed who truly want to save their marriages, she wrote a book, How to Help Your Spouse Heal from Your Affair, a compact manual for the unfaithful. It has sold over 95,000 copies so far. And Linda leads small groups, teaches workshops on a variety of related topics. She is also known for her well-received one-act psychotherapeutic play, Broken Heart, viewed by estimated audiences of three and a half million people worldwide. Linda, thanks for being here. We are so just grateful to have you on the show. Well, thanks so much. I I think it sounds like you guys have a really powerful ministry and a much-needed one. Mm. So it's great to meet you guys. Thank you. Well, uh, let's get started. So um, let's educate our listeners. Um, and I would love to ask you this question too, but how did you become interested in helping couples recover from infidelity? Well, I used to be a dental hygienist and I ended up with a back injury. So I decided to go into counseling as a different profession. And um, I had been a lay counselor at a church and it seemed like a lot of times the topic of infidelity came up. I had a special heart for Mm. those people, and I didn't quite understand why until I reflected on it, um, because I grew up in an alcoholic home. Mm. My parents really loved each other, but my dad was addicted, and it always felt like he chose the bottle over my mother or over our family. And I think that I had this drive to help people reconcile, to get rid of the external substance 
that was harming the family and the marriage. So I think that's where I first got the heart for this. And then when I graduated from um, marriage and family therapy school, I just decided to focus on that. And so it became kind of my specialty. I read every book I could possibly find on the subject and uh, was doing that for many years. And then I went through, I married someone who uh, had been in full-time ministry, then got into the business world. And he ended up uh, getting involved with someone at work. Wow. And then I went through the trauma of having him, his heart changed so much that he didn't want to work on the marriage. Mm. And I thought for sure my life was over. My life as a infidelity specialist was over. Sure. And yet it gave me more of a passion, believe it or not, to try and help people work it out when they possibly can. Mm. And so I think it added to my compassion for the betrayed, but I also still had compassion for the person who strayed because I knew there were unfinished business, other things, brokenness in their lives, that if they could just get the help that they needed and gain some tools that they could work it out. So I've helped a lot of couples repair the injuries and the marriages that have gone on to be quite successful. And so that's those, that's my story. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Um, what a, what a testimony to God and just him totally, he totally knew, you know, this, you know, five steps ahead, um, of what we thought, right. Is that's what I love about God is like, you think, you know, why something's going on, or maybe we don't even know. We're asking him like, why is this happening yet? God's like, I have a plan, you know? And I just think, wow, what a sweet moment for him to, just be able to already educate you and give you a heart for something to prepare you for that moment. Because I'm sure all the education, I mean, I know education doesn't take away pain, right? But education does allow you um, an understanding of what's going on with yourself and probably your significant other. I'm assuming is, am I correct in that at all? Or, Oh oh yes, It, it did help. Although when you're going through it yourself, you can't, you can't do the outside work that a counselor or so, and he was just unwilling to, to, yeah. to do the work. And so yeah. I, I really had to rely on the Lord, mm. for my own healing. And uh, there weren't there that many books out at the time for people in, in my shoes, because I think they're afraid of liability lawsuits or sure. something. So the couples would tell their stories, but not too many individuals mm. uh, were telling their stories back then. So um, and then writing Broken Heart, where it's all about how Jesus suffered for our sins and the sins against us. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, again, I had to learn a lot about forgiveness way back then and uh, not having an idea that I would have to go to such depth mm-hmm. of understanding forgiveness on a whole new level wow. at a later time in my life. You know, you talk, Linda, a lot about what that looks like, because we were just asked recently um, from a person, what do you do when the husband is unwilling to admit that he has an issue or get help or, you know, he, he does it to a certain extent, but there really isn't a full on repentance or willingness. And, and our take on that, and I, I think it aligns up with what you believe. And that is that we believe that there can be restoration without reconciliation in that relationship. Sometimes that relationship doesn't get healed. Sometimes that marriage doesn't get reconciled, but we still believe that a person 
still can find restoration in their relationship with Jesus and with other people, even outside of their spouse, because you, I think you would admit there's still healing that has to happen for each person individually. Yes. And I'd love to hear you talk about that. Uh, yeah, I think that um, it is hard when it when there isn't a cooperative reconciliation process. Uh, I do encourage people to build their own life with the Lord and with other friends. Uh, and if it's worth for the sake of the kids, mm-hmm. just hanging in there, that's great. Um, but sometimes people need a tough love approach, just like they do with an alcoholic, that sometimes an intervention is necessary to say, I'm not going to share you with this other person uh, if they're involved with someone outside the marriage. And uh, that can be a wake-up call. Um, I, one story I have is a guy that was convinced that once his wife found out about his affair, he'd just take off with the lover. Well, in this case, um, she, when she found out, oh my goodness, she had an absolute fit. She threw down the phone, she got really mad, and it woke him up. Mm from kind of his days that he was in and all of a sudden he wanted to save the marriage in the worst way. So um, you have to be guided by God in those situations. I have a gal who's uh, married to a cross dresser and, uh, but she saw no purpose in leaving the marriage. Uh, She didn't want to marry somebody else uh, just for the sake of their kids and grandkids. And so she, we worked on just building a life with God and friends and other people. And she just hangs in there. So oh. uh, she's an amazing godly woman. So sometimes that's a calling and sometimes it's just too painful because there's some abuse involved or continuing activity. And, and in those cases, I think the Lord gives us uh, some permission to separate. Yeah. Wow. I love the question that, that Charity was, we were discussing asking you, and that is, what are some of the common mistakes that people make when they're trying to repair their marriages post-affair? And what do you recommend instead? Well, I, I um, it, there's a number of things that can make a difference. Uh, because when you're caught off guard, you, you don't know how you're going to respond. I, I've talked to so many people that say, if my spouse ever had an affair, I'd leave. Well, then the spouse has the affair or maybe they discover uh, pornography addiction or something major like that. And they find that they really don't want to leave. They just want the person to get healed and recommitted to the marriage. And uh, so there's uh, so I encourage people to not just make those vows ahead of time that no matter what, I will leave because you don't know. You don't know. Um, if the betraying spouse waits to be discovered, it's a little harder journey than if they volunteer the information. Uh, but that doesn't happen in a high percent of cases, to be honest. Most people seem to wait to be discovered. But if they volunteer it, it really does provide a really good first step toward rebuilding trust. Uh, because too often the spouse is left with, well, when were you going to tell me? And you thought you could get away with this. And all those kinds of questions. So a big trust builder is volunteering the information right up front. Um, another thing that's important uh, well, I, th- is to not be defensive or dismissive mm. uh, with your spouse. That if you're self-protective and trying to still hide, then it really destroys um, those building blocks of trust. And it makes the person feel 
they feel foolish and stupid and they don't want to feel like they've been made a fool of because other people know that they've been involved, but the spouse doesn't. So to be non-defensive, open book, all my passwords, all my social media, there's no secrets anymore. Um, That can make a huge difference. Another thing is to just show appropriate remorse. Mm. If the betrayer um, seems defensive or cold hearted, that can be a turnoff to the spouse who maybe would want to save the marriage. But if they're um, remorseful, contrite, uh, humble, oh my goodness, that goes a long way. People are willing to give people a second chance when they see that kind of attitude of true, genuine sorrow. You know, scripture talks about godly sorrow versus the sorrow of the world. Godly sorrow is really being sorry for what was done. Worldly sorrow is sorry for being caught. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't that work of uh, repentance beginning in their hearts. So that can make a big difference. Obviously, failing to break things off 100% is not good because then the other person is left terrorized, afraid it's going to start up again, or they're still in contact. Oh, I can just be friends. No, you can't just be friends. It has to be 100% cut off, even if it's uh, a neighbor or even a relative or someone at work that I just recommend people break it off, all contact 100%. One story I have is a guy that read my book and he agreed with everything except that you have to put a lot of distance between you and the person that you work with. Mm. And he argued with his wife about it, refused to either get transferred to another department or leave his job. Well, she was one of those people that had a really hard time expressing her feelings. So rather than use words, she would out and out, just give him a kick. She would just, it was just automatic. Now I don't promote physical (laughs) violence, but I really did understand because she was terrified every day that he went to work. Is he thinking about her? Is he flirting with her? Are they having secret lunches? Uh, Does he wish he's with her? Is he comparing her with me? All that terror every day was tormenting her. So finally he got the message and he applied and got a job at a different company further away and the kicking stopped a hundred percent. So um, anyway, I just think creating barriers between, yeah. you know, that's really good. Another thing to avoid is unfair comparisons. Mm. Like she was my soulmate or he was really easy to get along with, or sure. um, she always dressed nice for me. Those are daggers in a spouse's heart. Yeah. And so just for the betrayer to recognize, hey, I was in a baggage-free bubble. This wasn't reality. This isn't what real marriage is about, to have this side affair where everything's idyllic and the persons are dressed great and you never hear crying babies. You don't have any arguments about money, you know, all that idealism. If the offending person recognizes this was an affair bubble or this had me in a state of unreality, that's super good. Mm. And of course, I always educate people about the hormones in the brain. There's a lot of knowledge about that now, but there wasn't much when I was going through my own situation. Um, the neurochemistry changes with secret 
hidden behavior. Uh, dopamine, you know, the risk, the secrecy, the adrenaline. There's another hormone called phenylethylamine. It's a kind of a hormone for romance. Oxytocin, which mimics the, all of these mimic the effect of morphine on your brain. And the more forbidden that an activity is, the higher those hormones go. Mm. And so you, you actually have an experience that's a little bit like being on drugs. And what, if the person that's straying doesn't recognize that, of course, they're going to make unfair comparisons with their marriage. This makes me feel really good all the time. And uh, yeah, well, there's stuff going on in my marriage that I have to actually work on. So, um, so it's just important for both people to recognize the neurochemistry involved in a secret, um, unallowed activity such as affairs and pornography and all that. That is so good. Yeah, and and uh, continuing to lie is not a good idea. Most people don't lie because they're just trying to make you out to be a fool. They lie to either protect themselves because they're embarrassed or they're trying to protect you, maybe the the betrayed spouse from having another meltdown. The problem is, is that the more that we lie, the more distrust happens. And actually I've had so many people say, you know, the worst part wasn't what he or she did, it was the lying because it just pulls the rug out from under the relationship. So um, just lies are lethal to, to recovery. And so just to recognize it, uh, another thing, people are afraid to um, talk about it. They think, Oh gee, you know, this is going to really upset my spouse. Uh, We're having such a great evening. Why would I want to bring this up? I'm going to just remind them. Well, if they just recognize that their offended spouse is thinking about this 24 seven, pretty much every minute. And so it's not like you're going to introduce something new to them. And in fact, avoiding talking about it is, is like ignoring the elephant in the room. And for the spouse, it just feels so lonely. There's a saying that goes a burden shared is a burden halved. Mm. And so when you, talk about it and say, how are you doing today? Do frequent check-ins. How was your day? Did you have any nightmares last night? Uh, Just caring about the fact that you might be relieved because it's all in the open and now you've got it behind you, but your spouse may still, is probably still haunted and traumatized by it. And when you show care and concern about that, it just goes a long, long way toward healing and trust. Um, Self-pity you know, because we feel like such a last and we want to beat ourselves up, kind of like what was the name of the pastor in uh, Hester Prynne, the Scarlet Letter. The minister was beating himself up in the Whipping, closet. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's understandable. I mean, people with, that still have a conscience feel terrible about what they've done. But if they waste all that energy on self-pity, it's going to take away from the empathy that they could be showing their partner. Mm. So. I think it's important. I've even had people go to Catholic priests for confession, or I have served as a confessor and had people just share their shame out loud with God and then reassure them, you know, based on 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our, our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If Jesus was here in person, he would say these words to you. I forgive you. People need to hear that. And the word confess literally means to say the same thing. So if we're still rationalizing the sin, it's not going to be as effective as when we're calling it for what it is, the same thing Jesus would call it. Then we can get that cleansing. And then once we get this between us and God worked out, it makes it a lot easier between us and our partner. Is that? Oh, that was amazing. Yes, that we're incredible. taking a bunch of notes over here. <laughs> yeah, if, we, if you see us writing, we're, we're just scribbling. like writing notes and scribbling stuff on our papers. Because I'm like, oh yeah, lies are lethal. That's good. Yeah, that was really good. And all, and all these things, and it's, and we agree. We think that it's so important to really align yourself with the Lord's truth in this season, because again, that's our belief, and that's the way this podcast is from a Christian worldview and a standpoint. And that is that if if we don't allow Christ's love and righteousness to transform us. We will be trying to do everything in our own power. And us as husbands, we are not able to fix our wives just by doing certain activities. But I believe that God's power can allow us to be humble and be broken and be empathetic and be aware and realize that, I mean, a lot of what you said is a reminder for me, just that the things that charity does or, or, or is trying to do, they're just, she's trying to find safety. She's trying to create safety. And uh, we forget that a lot as guys, we think, Oh, you're trying to control me or you're trying to get up in my business or come on. The app that tracks my location was down for literally five minutes. Like it just had a, a, a glitch but in reality, all that does is create this red flags, red sirens are going off in her head and she's freaking out because she understands that I'm a compulsive liar. So at any minute, I could be back in the addiction, doing something, making her feel unsafe. And so there needs to, I think more men need to realize that our wives are not reacting to what we're doing today. They're reacting to how much they were affected by the trauma of betrayal. Right on. No, that's really good. That's really good. Thanks, Linda. No, it is. It's really good. And I do think it adds an extra security Mm -hmm. to the spouse if they feel like the person is trying to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, Mm. because that gives them an extra sensitive conscience, one that they dulled during their sinful, you know, betrayal time that when, when they feel like their spouse is seeking God, that's like, oh, you know, now they're letting God to have access to them, and there's an extra layer of protection uh, just in in that. So that's yeah. good. I love that's that. Um, some of the things that you talked about, I I had a couple questions go off in my head when you were talking, and and I want to ask them. Um, one is, how can the betrayed learn to create a safe environment for the addict? Because I think sometimes the emotions are so high, right? That like you were saying is they will, they would rather lie because they think it's protecting them from a big explosion um, from what's going to happen. What is the advice that you could give from the betrayed perspective on how to approach a conversation and when the significant other is wanting to share with them new discoveries or new information? That is excellent question. I would say in general, for the first disclosure, it's different than the future ones. Okay. The first disclosure, you have to show a lot of self-respect. And I'm not going to share you with these images, this person. 
you know, and, and a pretty strong reaction kind of helps pull them out of the denial that they've been in. For the future, um, I, I, I think avoiding physical um, uh, harm is a good thing. <laughs> I think um, knowing that the spouse that's been betrayed has their own support net- network, I recommend that they have an A-team, just a few people around them that know everything. So that they've got support and they can actually know that they have a place to go if they've been offended and that they can share everything. So probably not a relative, uh, probably a best friend or a counselor, just some people that are trustworthy. Uh, Writing in your journal before you have a reaction can help because that connects the right and left hemispheres of the brain when you're writing about emotions. And so that will help you make sense of what you want to say. And you're going to say what you really mean to say, not your knee jerk uh, in the moment. Um, You know, there's a saying that I think it's Bradshaw that made this popular, that we are closest with those with whom we share our secrets. Mm. And so if the betrayed person can keep that in mind, my spouse is sharing a secret with me. And even though it hurts, This is going to help him feel closer to me or her closer to me to just kind of keep that in mind and that you'd rather have honesty than not. Yeah. Um, That that is, that is better. Um, But to be clear, I mean, hold boundaries. You know, I I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think that assertiveness with boundaries is actually the best preventer of resentment that there is. Yeah. Because it, it catches it at the beginning. It prevents it. And so you say, hey, I need, if you're going to be late, I need you to call. Um, those kinds of things. And stick to them and say, hey, we had an agreement. What's going on? And and then the, and give the person a chance to explain. And if it wasn't a relapse, uh, then they can hopefully tell <laughs> and then move on from there. So I I. I, I do think that there's a certain level of grief that is a delayed grief from, from what the betrayer goes through. The betrayer already feels pretty shamed and bad about what they've done. And then they're relieved once it comes in the open, but then they scramble because they don't want to harm their partner too much. And how much is too much information is always a question, right? But if they can grieve with their partner and, and um, say, I am so sorry. You have to worry about that. I am so sorry that I've left you with these scary feelings. And I just want to do everything I can to make this up to you. So a compassionate response by the betrayer helps the response of the betrayed. Um, Those, those are helpful. Um, I, I, I do believe in, forgiveness, but I kind of have some caveats about Mm. that. And that is the goal is to forgive in the long run. But too often, really nice Christian people, whether it's the man or the woman, want to be a really good person. And they might want to forgive too quickly or be too, to want to get through the process too fast. And that's the Band-Aid thing. Let's, we got to dig here. I got to know what I'm forgiving. And that's why knowing the truth is important before you just offer forgiveness. I had a gal come to me, her husband had had an affair and, but, and he admitted it. Okay. So he was one of those people that volunteered it, 
Her first words out of her mouth were, I forgive you. Well, guess what? 10 years later, she's still suffering because they just made it a non-talked about subject. And every time there was a sermon that mentioned adultery or a TV show where there's infidelity or, you know, really skimpy, whatever, she would just have knives in her heart. So she came to me and we processed the feelings. We didn't just bury them. And then we invited her husband in and she got a chance to share with him her sorrow, her grief, her pain, her trauma. And you know what? It was the best thing that could have happened to him because he, he was also just sitting on the, how could you get over it this fast? And so he didn't get to work through his total repentance process. It robbed him. Does that, Kind of makes sense. And so him seeing the look on her face, the sorrow helped his repentance go deeper and was more thorough and effective. And so then they were able to repair their relationship Mm. and it was a really beautiful thing. And she was no longer haunted by those knives coming at her from, from other reminders. So, so good. Yeah, we agree. I, I think it's, it's unfortunate that most Christians are taught that they have to have a quick response to forgive. And, we talk a lot about this, that we believe that forgiveness is a decision, but it's also a process. And we believe that forgiveness doesn't need to be instantaneous. It's not, you don't have to just say, I forgive you right away because that's what, and and I, unfortunately, I think, I think we do a bad job as Christians at teaching that, that your immediate response has to be just like Jesus. And Christ says, forgive others as I forgive you. And we think that that's what Jesus would do. Well, if you look at the Bible, I, we had a, another person talk about this, and it was so educational for me. And he talked about how if you look at the Bible, even forgiveness wasn't instantaneous of the whole process of Jesus. They took 2,000 years to get the Messiah, and then he came, and then he died. And we get to experience that, but they didn't get to experience a forgiveness that was instantaneous right away either. And so it, it just it's a different philosophy, but I totally align with what you're saying. And I think yeah. that we can help couples really understand what are they forgiving and what are they choosing to forgive? Because if we don't know those answers and we're just trying to put a bandaid on it or just really, it's almost a way to to run to denial. It's almost a way to run escapism. Like I just want to say it and forget it, you know? And it's like, I don't know if that's the healthiest thing for a relationship long-term. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um, No, I I agree with that. And and the other thing is I think forgiveness has to be specific. Even in my own situation where my husband wasn't repentant, um, I'm remarried now. But when, so when I talk about my husband, I'm talking about my first husband. Um, I've still had to walk through forgiveness, but it's been one event at a time. Mm. It isn't a generalized, I forgive him. It's uh, oh yeah. When he said this to me in this situation, Sometimes I have to envision Jesus in the situation. I had a situation where um, somebody sent me a picture from our youngest son's wedding. And I was giving a little talk to my youngest son, just kind of little marriage advice. And my ex-husband was in the picture and he had his eyes down and had that smirk on his face that I used to see when he was in his uh, disdainful period toward me. And that just hurt so badly. And I just went to Jesus with that. And I just said, Jesus, I just can't believe how much that still hurts. And then Jesus said, see me between you. And so I could just envision Jesus standing between him and me, myself. And Jesus had a smile. He had a warm look at me. 
of approval. And um, so I needed healing before I could kind of let go of my offense toward my ex-husband. Does that make sense? So I, I just, um, anyway, it, 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 it takes time. But I, I knew that in my situation, I was going to end up with forgiveness, even if it was just unilateral, even if it was just one way to set me free. Yeah. Um, the ideal is when it can be reconciling forgiveness, but that means bringing fruit and keeping with your repentance on the part yeah. of the betrayer. And then you can move closer together. But if you're, if this person isn't repenting at all, then you're left with what Jesus had to do on the cross, which is father, forgive them for they, they don't get it yeah. <laughs> basically. So anyway, you know, I, was, I want to ask a personal question. I don't know if we wrote this one down or sent it to you, but it, and you can choose to, say, let's go to the next one. But um, sometimes what happens, and we're familiar with it even on our end, is that there can be this um, this gap of us wanting to pursue the Lord in this journey. And we can, uh, the betrayed person can be angry at God because maybe God was in their relationship. They were both Christians. You know, you said for you said in your situation, your husband, your first husband was in the ministry and, and different things. And I, I, I was just curious, how do you coach other people or how did you overcome that did, with people feeling a disdain towards God and feeling like, I, I can't go to God right now. I don't, I don't want to talk to him right now. I feel like he allowed this to happen and it hurts and he was supposed to be there. I was curious about that. That is an excellent question, truly, because people do get disillusioned. God didn't protect me. I remember years ago, somebody saying to me before I found a person to marry, you've been faithful to God, so God will be faithful to you. And so I had this idealistic view that this was God's choice for me. Therefore, everything's going to go almost perfect. And then when it didn't, and then also Christian sometimes are don't want to let go of their own belief in God. So a betrayal will start, a betrayer will start rationalizing spiritually, relying a lot on God's grace. God forgave me. How come you won't? Um, David had concubines. I mean, I hear it all, you know, cause I deal with, I'd say at least 50% of my clients are Christians. In my situation, my former husband told me, um, that he thought God was loving him through this other woman. Now, intellectually, I knew that was messed up, but I had so looked up to him spiritually that it threw me into a whole, this was the worst part actually of my own healing recovery journey, because I could live without his love, without the, my husband's love. I could not live without God's love. And so there was this feeling of God was betraying me, maybe. And 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 so a couple of things that helped me, about three things, I think. One is when uh, Jesus was saying some really hard things to the disciples uh, and people left, you know, he's saying, unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you, you won't have any part of me. And Jesus notices these people leaving and he says to the disciples, well, are you going to go away too? What was Peter's response? Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of life. And I knew that even though I felt wounded by this picture I had of God, 
I knew I also had nowhere else to go, that he was the key to my healing. And um, I remember uh, staying home from church one week because my pastor, I felt like, had been promoting some sort of codependent thing. Um, and I just was offended. So I stayed home and I pulled out the New Living Bible and I read the book of Job beginning to end. And I saw it in a light I'd never seen it before. Mm. That Job, when he was going through all his trials, he went to his buddies that he'd always philosophized with, you know, these other believers in God. And they were so threatened that godly Job was going through this. We'd better stick to our little formulas. And this was their formula. If you're a good person, good things will happen to you. If you're a bad person, God's not on your side and bad things will happen to you. So therefore, if bad things happen to you, it means you were bad. Okay. And that, and, and Job went to them for comfort and they sat with him for a little while. And then they start coming up with all these theories because they were threatened by the fact that reasonably godly Job had these horrible things happen. So for me, it was comforting to know I need to get out of the box here. I don't want to have any formulas. You know, just because I'm a believer doesn't mean I'm going to have a perfectly blessed life in the external manner. That I needed God and that I live in a fallen world and some bad things are going to happen and they do not represent God's heart for me. And so I started collecting scriptures that talk about God's heart for me and how he doesn't like injustice. God does not rejoice in injustice, it says in Psalm 5. Okay, so God did not was not endorsing what my former husband was doing. God was not on his side just because he was using religious uh, excuses. God was on both our sides trying to draw us to himself. And, um, and so that was helpful. The other thing is because of that, God was loving me through the other woman rationalization. I wrote a gal that had written a book. Her name is Welby O'Brien. And I just told her how tormented I was over that. How could God love me if he was loving the, uh, you know, my ex-husband through the other woman? You know, what does that say about me? And she said, Linda, stop trying to make sense of the insanity of sin. I was trying to make sense of it. And it's just sin, mm. you know? And so it wasn't personal. It isn't that God didn't love me. It's we're in a fallen world. And in Romans 1, it says God let them. He let them go, you know? And so we can't control another person's will. That is a gift from God to have human will. And so it's, I just had to separate out and know that if just because something bad happened to me, you know, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that's where I get my comfort. So God can redeem anything. There isn't, and I remember before I married my first husband, I was at a women's retreat, and I think this was from God. He's, this woman said, I don't think there's anything we can go through in life that God can't somehow redeem. And, you know, I held on to that, not knowing, you know, that 13, 14 years later, I was going to have to cling to that. God can redeem even this. 
So whether a person's still with their spouse because and they're hurting, but they're working on things, or if the spouse leaves, it doesn't matter. God can redeem anything. And that's what he's done in my life. I wouldn't trade what I've been through. I never thought I would say that when I was going mm-hmm. through it, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because of how God's forced me to himself and that he is my God, not my ex-husband. And um, so that's my story. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That got, yeah, me, that was really powerful. That got me teared up and I was feeling, yeah, I was just was like, Man, Linda, I just want to give you a hug through the Zoom call. <laughs> um, I think all I think all of us, regardless of even betrayal and betrayed, go through things in our life where we were like, where was Jesus? Where were you at? And we have this idea that if we follow God, that everything still works out to a degree where it's safe. And it's something I've been personally working through in my own life. And it's like, is God safe? And unfortunately, we live in a fallen world where people still can choose to sin. And God also doesn't, I mean, he actually promises hardship. He promises suffering. He says, you will suffer for my namesake. And at the same time, the believer, I think, comes to a crossroads where they go, where else would I go? There's, there's, There's nothing else I can run to that gives life. Everything else is a heavy burden. And Jesus's burden is light. But I don't think it's easy by any means to even choose that sometimes. So thank you for sharing that. And that was really, really powerful. And I'm really thankful for your transparency and willingness to go there. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I think the other thing that we can get comfort from is kind of what you referred to is no matter what we go through, Jesus promises to be with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. I remember having a gal who was a missionary, excuse me, And uh, she had had a pretty traumatic childhood and she was uh, her mother just did really terrible discipline. And one of them was she was three years old. She just didn't want to go inside because she was having so much fun with her friends and she peed her pants. So she goes inside the house. Her mother flips out, straps one of those portable potties on her with duct tape, shoves her back out the door. And she's totally shamed by having to have this thing on her. So what she did is she just hid in the bushes. Mm. And, um, And so we went to pray. And I said, I want you to see if there's, if God gives you a sense of where he was in that situation. You know what she said? He's hiding with me in the bushes. Hmm. And I think that's true when we go through any kind of shame or sorrow is Jesus is with us in it. And that can make all the difference. Anyway. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That was really powerful. Um, well, we understand you're working on another book. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Inside scoop. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to stick with this title it's, um, let me see, what do I have written down here? It's, um, oh, the post-affair divorce, recovering from the trauma, shame, and grief. Mm. And the, the reason I wanted to write it is because I wanted to put down in it everything I wished I had had when I went through my own experience. Wow. 
And and uh, I, I had a hard time finding much material. Like I said before, there's plenty of books on divorce recovery, plenty on sex addiction nowadays. That wasn't as well known back then. But And there's stuff on trauma, you know, betrayal trauma. There's some good recent books. But there wasn't anything that really covered all the things. Because for me, as awful as any kind of betrayal is, when you get not just betrayed, but then you get discarded, it's double the betrayal, double the trauma, double the grief, mm. double the um, shame. Because there's a shame in being betrayed sexually or emotionally. And then there's a shame in being thrown away. So I just wanted to do it more. My other book was a little bit of spiritual stuff here and there, but it's mostly aimed at a secular audience. This one, I just feel like is critical to include spiritual resources, scripture, and the Lord and how he works. So I'm hoping it'll be a healing journey. I've been working on it for a long time. Wow. And so that's my next vision. Yay. Um, how exciting. I'm really excited for that. Yes. That's going to be very powerful. Well, I I truly believe, yeah, like you're saying, there is a lot of great books out there, but grief and shame there it's talked about but very small like maybe a paragraph you know and um we are very big on talking about grief because we both experienced it individually in completely different ways um but we both experienced that emotion and it was very weird for us in the beginning because we're like what why are we grieving right now this is very odd and so we started learning about and researching the different stages of grief and and what that looks like and so I love that you are going to be sharing about that and educating um, women and individuals and probably men that could totally benefit from that as yeah. well because um, it's going to help a lot. Yeah. And I, and I think there's not enough people talking about that space as far as being betrayed and then the marriage not having reconciliation. And there's that double shame, double everything that you just mentioned. And I think there's not enough material out there for those for those people because – they feel rejected and I think they feel rejected by their communities as well. Even they're not always accepted by the churches and they, it's, I mean, on a minor scale, you have breakups that happen all the time in relationships. And when you're the same friend group, you like, you can't even associate with those same friends anymore. And if you went to church together, like I got to find a new church. And, and then they, my family love them. Is my family ever going to love somebody else as much as they love that person or whatever. And so I can, I could see how there would be so much shame around it not working out and and i'm i'm that that book's gonna be very powerful so i'm excited you're writing it thank you so much linda how can our listeners know more about what you're doing about what you offer and what you've created is there a way for them to learn more and get plugged in to what you're doing mostly just my website i have my book featured on there with a link to amazon i've got blog entries i've got articles, a lot of free articles, book recommendations, all that stuff. So I think, uh, will you include the, do I say it verbally or are you going to include it? You can do both. Say it verbally and we will also include it in the show notes. Okay. Of course, www.lindajmacdonald.com. And uh, yeah, I always joke that um, we're the farm, not the hamburger joint. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And I do want to mention, I am happily remarried. Um, Mm. I'm married to someone whose first wife also had kind of a midlife crisis. And uh, so he's very empathetic and he's Mm. he's in pastoral ministry. Um, And we've just had a great life the last 
almost 17 years. It's God has been very good. Not that that had to be the the only way to heal, but it was certainly uh, a one beautiful way of restoration in, in my own life. And I'm grateful for that. That's amazing. Praise God for that. He yeah. does redeem and restore. Um, well, any last final comments um, for our audience and our listeners today that you would like to kind of share? I would say that to, to not let pride get in the way of restoration mm. and to um, trust that it's kind of, the way I see healing is kind of like a broken bone. When there's been a broken bone, a serious break, not just a, you know, a fracture, but a break, the bone has to be reset just right in order for healing to happen and then support put around it so it'll hold in place and then eventually what happens is this thing called a callus forms where your body just starts bringing healing elements to that part of the break and eventually it's actually stronger at the place of the break than it is anywhere else along the bone and so I just encourage people get the support you need go to a, a specialist whether it's a sex addiction specialist or an infidelity specialist, make sure you're going to the right kind of counselor that understands, get, get all the support you need, whether it's groups, books, whatever, and then hang in there because eventually the potential is that you will be stronger in the place of the break and that that won't be your area of vulnerability in the future. So, wow. That was a cool imagery. Yes. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Lena, thanks for having, have being here on the podcast. We're so excited. We'll stay in touch for sure. And I'm looking forward to this airing in a little bit. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, you guys. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the upcoming course. You can also connect with us on the ask us anything page at restoredtomore.com. Also quick note, All the work at Restored to More Inc., including this podcast, is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website, 